The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. This is the 3CR Garden Show. It, and I'm hoping that you can hear me because we're having a slight problem with our mics. It's Virginia here from the 3CR Garden Show and today is Botanic Gardens Day. And with me I have three members of the Botanic Gardens. I have Claire Hart, from the Horticultural Manager from Melbourne Botanic Gardens, John Arnott from Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, and Tex Moon from the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. It's um, delightful to be here. Um, I'm really happy to be here on such a uh, beautiful day for gardening as well. It's uh, (laughs) raining gently, uh, maybe a little bit more than what we'd like for gardening, but folk are out there. Um, On my way in, I saw a lot of people out um, walking dogs, running in the dark, but, you know, um, also perfect a little bit later in the day for getting those tools out. I'm hoping that people will come and visit our botanic gardens today, that it clears because they're all looking beautiful and that is Botanic Gardens Day. Tex. It is. And yeah, hi everyone. I'm very happy to be here also on this, uh, what is Botanic Gardens Day? So, so uh, and yeah, great day to get out and celebrate um, all things Botanic Gardens and go and visit a local garden or go further afield to somewhere you haven't been before. Absolutely. And, of course, John, we have got more botanic gardens in Victoria than any other state. It's, uh, it's a fluke of history, I think. Um, but we do. Uh, there's 40... The, 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 number, the number we use, it's a bit like... Um, well, it's 42. What, what was that? Uh, what was 42? It was no, that the was the Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> 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 trying to get the reference. Yeah. Um, so the answer was 42, but the question was the thing which was a doubt. We, we, we've got it's 40, just 42. 42. So there's 42 uh, gardens on the Big Ends books. But if you throw in Arborita, um, zoos, uh, other green spaces, mm. uh, the number of... of People that are you know doing collections based work. If you throw in if you throw in plant trust people, yeah, I was gonna say they could all be considered to be botanic mm. garden, except for the maybe the the open to the public bit. Mm. I mean, that's one of the definitions that yes, makes the, the botanic garden. Yes, the definition of botanic gardens is education, science, conservation, conservation, conservation open and to the, the enjoyment or amenity. Yeah. yeah, and open to the public with a reasonable degree of permanence. Yeah. That's, yes. that's that sort of sits there in, in the background as well. There's big uh, nat trust places. Nat trust places, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. openly, you yeah. know, that's a, yeah. a Which is a stunning garden. Yeah, yeah. 
But they don't have the research facility, do they? No, I'm just saying that adding that to, mm. the, to mm. the value of, um, you know, part of that component of, of conservation. And, of course, the first one in Victoria was Melbourne. Yep. And 1846. Just 1846. But when you think about it, it was only five acres back then. Mm. And now it's 36 hectares, which is considerably bigger. But I also think it was those first two directors, von Mueller particularly, who encouraged botanic gardens all through Victoria and, of course, the gold rush. Yeah, the gold rush was huge. Provided the impetus to actually... So I think it went in Australia, it went Sydney, Hobart, Melbourne, and then Geelong. Uh, and Geelong, uh, 1855, right on the, you know, the cusp of the, of, of the gold. And then there was an explosion through the 18, late 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. And by 1870, uh, there were 21 regional botanic gardens, or botanic gardens in Victoria. Uh, New South Wales had one. Uh, Tasmania had one. Queensland had one. And we had 21. 21, that's fairly impressive, isn't it? It really is. And, and they were, um, they were um, I certainly called botanic gardens. Uh, a, a couple of them had points of scientific reference. Um, the Geelong Botanic Gardens certainly, uh, you know, it was based along uh, a, a scientific collections model. But a lot of the botanic gardens that which were developing were really um, places of... Uh, they were people places. Yeah. They were pla- places to promenade. They were yeah. places, places to meet. Mm. Well, it was very much what the governor wanted, wasn't it? He wanted Melbourne Botanic Gardens to be a civilising effect. Civilising the city. Yes, somewhere where people would go over the weekend or over Sunday. Mm. And, of course, it is, uh, it is beautifully designed now. It wasn't beautifully designed initially because mm. it was very scientific. Mm. Unless well, a lot of it was, you know... Uh, that very colonial focus on what can we grow, um, how can we use plants, um, what is going to be efficient, you know, in that colony sense. So, and I use that very broadly because clearly there was a whole heap that we could have grown had we have, um, you know, had that uh, initial uh, knowledge. Oh yeah, knowledge, but also just a, a, um, a working with traditional owners, of course. So mm. yeah. you know, that we have to say that first and foremost. There was a bounty. Of course. It was just not seen. Yeah. Or valued. Yeah. Yeah. Or bothered to be found out. Mm. Or to be found out, yeah. However, you know, there there was that, um, you know, understanding, you know, once people um, started to value, you know, the landscape around them as well. So, uh, but yes, initially, you know, what is it that we can and grow and build houses out of and, and make um, clothes out of, etc. So, so yeah. It was really about acclimatisation, introducing mm. things that we know we need. Yes, like rabbits and blackberries. Rabbits. And <laughs> 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 oh, it had to come up, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> it had to come up. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the, the blackberry thing, you know, there's the quote that one day every gully, there's a Von Mueller quote, one day every gully in southeastern Australia or Victoria will be blessed with the, black, with the blackberry. Mm. Now, he was one of the the genius scientific minds. Mm. Now that's a blind spot. Now, if you were to say, every so humanity has always had blind spots. What are ours at this point? Yes. In a yeah. hundred years' time, what are they going to look back and say? Climate change. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't yeah. you? You'd think so. We're still opening coal mines. Biodiversity it seems extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Climate and biodiversity crisis. Mm. And, of um, course, Tex, your botanic gardens had an unusual beginning as well. Yeah, and I guess our one is it doesn't date back to the 1800s, and, and it's a uh, 
it's probably more of that testament to that community, um, the importance of community groups and, and the fact that the power of what they can do. So, yeah, the Rhododendron Society, the Australian Rhododendron Society, which was an offshoot of the Fernie Creek Hort Society at the time, lobbied the government for this parcel of land and it did start a lot smaller than what it is now um but yeah got that that sort of bit of land up in Alinda zoned as sort of green wedge and as, as a fire break for the township and a, and a place to actually grow exotic plants namely rhododendrons so so that's grown and now we're you know over 100 acres of, of garden up there and and obviously managed by Parks Victoria so yeah and I have to say some of the best views yeah. In Victoria. Yeah, and a great time of year, really, at the moment, where you start seeing a lot of those views opening up as you get the dotted colour around from the from the deciduous trees and as they drop drop the leaves, then, then, then you get these views passed out into that borrowed landscape, which is pretty amazing to have. Mm. And quite a lot of the time at the moment where you can be above the cloud line up, up there, so you're sort of looking down into this valley of fog. Or other days you can't see... You're lucky to see two metres in front of you, but, uh, <laughs> but but sometimes we get above the clouds. <laughs> I'm often above the cloud in yeah. the morning, and I just love it, you know, this yeah, yeah. thick cloud beneath me. And then yeah. when it rises, it rises quite quickly. Yeah. So I lose the sun for a little while, and then bang, it's yeah. back. So Texas is still functioning in that original context of being a firebreak and having that kind of uh, strong, I guess, uh, safety aspect to it as well. Yeah, look, the... That, that is a big part of, so you've got the Hamer Arboretum, the Older Linda Golf Course and uh, the Rhododendron Garden, which is now the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden, um, all sort of a part of that of that firebreak for the township, um, but, you know, managed on a much broader landscape level with, with the state government. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Hey, you know you've been around a while uh, when things that you planted. I did my work experience at the Alinda Arboretum. Yeah, Plant, right. planting planting out of these um, uh, plywood tubes, oh. and I reckon I planted. Uh, it, it, it was certainly the some of the betulas and yep. and some of the. It was betulas and is, is, were there ginkgos there, or was I imagining that? There's there's some ginkgos. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I was, I, and we went past there a couple of years ago, and these things are trees. Yeah, like proper trees. Yeah, there's that incredible beach forest there that I think is is, a, is a, just such a special area where you, in the Hamer Arboretum, you come and you can go down and you, you could be in the, the Northern Hemisphere, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're just in this incredible, yeah, Vegas forest. I mean, that's the other thing about the Downland Ranges Garden is it's gardens. Yep. Um, five, six, you manage six estates? We manage eight properties all eight up, properties. yeah, yeah. So, but that includes William Ricketts Sanctuary okay. and yeah. and the and the former Alinda Golf Course. But yeah, Mount Dandenong Arboretum, the RJ Hamer Arboretum, George Tyndale Memorial Garden, Pirianda, Alfred yeah. Nicholas Memorial Garden. So, I think Pirianda is one of those totally forgotten places. It is so beautiful. It there is are such extraordinary trees in there. Yeah, and, and again, you see at this time of the year, walking dogs, and that's yeah. all. Yeah. Although you do have to be very fit. It's a steep garden. <laughs> it's a steep garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that started off as uh, a private garden. Yeah. A private collection. Yeah, as as did George Tyndale Memorial Garden and Alfred Nicholas. But yeah, yeah but certainly, yeah, Periander and George Tyndale Memorial Garden, incredible plant, plant collections with that um, vigour behind them, with, with, with good records and yeah. all of that sort of stuff that was all kept by by the, the private landowners. So... Mm. So just just having garden, a record is extraordinary. Yeah, absolute garden nuts, and and that was so. Periander was the Ansel family, who Ansel. The latex hmm. gloves and everything. So yeah. 
Yeah. They had a quarantine facility importing yeah. things from overseas. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's a um, – people who are listening, it is really worth going to Periander for a walk one day. It is really a very unknown and beautiful garden. Although, although you're very busy at, at Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens – it is extraordinary how many people who don't know you're yeah. actually there. Yeah, it's a great thing to have up your sleeve when you're coming up into the Dandenong Ranges. That if you you might want to come to the Botanic Garden, which we definitely want to see you there. But but if the parking's a bit tight, which it can be at times, then yeah, you do have Periander just down the road, and mm. another five minutes down the road from there, you've got George Tyndale Memorial Garden, and you're pretty much guaranteed to get a car park at those places. So. And so, you can drop in and see Craig at Gentiana yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And he can tell you all about the trees at Periander as well. <laughs> he does know them, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. It's probably worth just mentioning as well that whilst, you you know, there's plenty of um, uh, there's botanic gardens in the city, so there's obviously Melbourne Botanic Garden, there's Cranbourne Botanic Garden, but and then if you're around the Dandenongs, clearly Dandenong Rangers Botanic Garden, but then you want to go out west, you've got Melton Botanic Melton. Gardens. Also, Williamstown Botanic Gardens, um, and then in a city as well, St Kilda, St. Kilda. Botanic Gardens. So yep. they're everywhere. Maranoa. Um, yeah. Oh, Maranoa. Maranoa is amazing. Yeah. Kawara. Zimbabwean. Yeah. Kawara. Yes, yeah. Maranoa is another one that people don't know about. Yes. And it's a fantastic native garden. Yeah. And, and what they've done this year is they've just achieved global accreditation as a botanic garden. Mm-hmm. So there's a organisation called Botanic Gardens Conservation International. BGCI, BGCI. <laughs> um, and BGCI have a uh, an accreditation process. And to my knowledge, Marino was the first of the Victorian gardens to to have achieved uh, international botanic garden status. I'm sure Claire's garden has. It's not BGCI accredited. No, and your garden's nope. not. Even nope. though you won best new garden in the world. Yeah, and we hosted the congress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, that's clearly because nobody's applied. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Melbourne Botanic Gardens is considered one of the four best in the world. I, I think there's about 25 gardens globally that, re- that say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is recognised globally as a, as a great is. garden. Well, I th- and I think one of the big differences about uh, Melbourne Gardens is often something that we talk about and is the design. So that design by Guilfoyle... Um, is really about, uh, you know, um, that revealing process. So the mass and voids, often how we mm. talk about it. So you're going down a path and you're feeling closed. Then you open up to wide, expansive views of water bodies, etc. And the other element about it is our living plant collections, which instead of being in a system process, so, you know, i.e. similar to somewhere like Q, um, they're immersed into the design themselves. Mm. So you come across them. So it's, it's a different way and, and it's a, a highly designed um, space that... Uh, makes it um, incredibly beautiful. It is. It is absolutely beautiful because mm. whenever I'm away, when it, of course I lived in London for so long, I go back a lot. I go to Kew a lot. It hasn't got a patch on. It's not a patch on. <laughs> not a patch. No. I love it dearly. It's big. But, it's flat. It's all there. But yeah, yeah. you're right. The design it, on the Melbourne. The design is... and it's been improved yeah. since Monty Don <laughs> put in that great big perennial border. Right? Yeah. And, That's and, improved. And the horticulture has probably improved since Richard Barley yeah. went, went across oh, there to yeah. say, look, this we, we, this actually needs to be a beautiful garden at the mm. same time as a garden that just which has got these holdings, mm. incredible holdings. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, but yeah, less about. Um, uh, immersion and landscape and certainly ab- uh, about holdings. Well, Melbourne, you 
put in the same category <coughs> as Sissinghurst or Hidcote, you know, these very beautiful gardens that were designed as beautiful gardens. Yeah. And Guilfoyle did that yeah. for Melbourne. And, and the gardens of the world, there's yeah. approximately 190 um, different countries represented. So it's, it's incredible the diversity that can be in one space. So that 38 hectares two and a half kilometres from the city um, and, and incredibly, apart from the being the city's uh, green space, um, a very unique way to connect people with nature at their doorstep. And, yeah. isn't that, and it's just a beautiful combination, the, the, the Melbourne Gardens and the, and the, and, and the Cranbourne Gardens, 190 countries represented, a single country represented. But over Diversity. half the collection, but over half the collection at Melbourne is Australian native plants. Yeah, and that's probably not really widely known. No, no, definitely yeah. not. But yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, in our trees. So we have an Araucaria collection. We have eucalypts. Um, you know, there, there's agathis. There's a there's a whole huh. there's a lot of ficus in there as well. So these ficus, rainforest yeah, things. just yeah, exactly, doing incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, Australian rare and threatened collection, yeah. amongst others. There's also uh, the lower Yarra River habitat, so um, or Long Island. So a lot of people know that area. So and that that is such that was such an improvement actually taking that back because of the, the increase in the bird life. Oh, yeah. since that went in, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is really important. <clears throat> and that's that urban biodiversity function of botanic gardens. It's interesting that you mentioned Guilford because um, the 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 Camperdown Arboretum. Uh, have, they're doing a, a master plan to revisit their, their, their arboretum, which was a Guilford arboretum. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be uh, shown the, the kind of the master plan. And it is a beautiful master plan, uh, really, really honouring the sort of the picturesque Guilford. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Mm. Uh, and, and again, one of those regional gardens, I mean, I think it was, the arboretum was planted, but it fell into disrepair and got weedy. And um, so there's a rejuvenation of, um, of uh, a, a Guildford landscape. I mean, Guildford had poor prints all over the state, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, a, so, what a legacy. Well, any garden <laughs> yeah. you see, uh, generally in Aracaria, um, Bidwillia, you're like, oh, it's possibly Guildford yeah. this way. <laughs> yeah. And Warrnambool yeah. was a Guildford layout? I think so. Yeah, I think uh, oh, there's another... Um, Little garden. Oh, anyway, well, Colac and yeah. Um, yeah. Guilfoyle. But I probably just a point to make is that I guess a lot of the work that we do as um, managers in horticulture is managing that kind of physical and um, visual representation of what botanic gardens are. And right behind us is that incredible research and mm. conservation Science. that happens in in the herbarium and and, and just across um, yep. across you know. Uh, Botanic gardens in in that um, in their their strong kind of research and conservation and education it's it's huge yeah. it's what we do in that space yeah and we have a call online we've got Jill Grant from the Shepparton Botanic Gardens good morning Jill good morning to you all there this hi Jill Thanks, morning Jill. Jill hi Jill happy but happy Botanic Gardens Day Jill BGD but, <laughs> it's rainy. It's rainy. Yeah, it is a rainy yeah. and misty day. It's yeah. um, for 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 us here in southeastern Australia. May is not such a great day for botanic gardens. Yeah, day. You, However, you'd think with all the botanic gardens we've got, we, we'd have a bit more pull in the in the sector. But uh, but we uh, we luck out to the ones up north. Yet, <laughs> hey, hey, Jill, what's happening up at? Uh, actually, could you just um, uh, so you're in Shepparton, it's the Australian Botanic Garden in, in, in Shepparton. Um, could you just give us a bit of a thumbnail as to as to what the garden is and, and second to that, what are you doing today to celebrate um, uh, Botanic well, Gardens Day? Well, to celebrate Botanic, uh, Botanic Gardens Day um, throughout Australia and New Zealand, we are hoping 
Um, we're busy watching the radar at the moment. We have a client sale with our propagation team um, have been busy. Um, we have a garden for wildlife, which is with the Shepherd and Marupa Urban Land Care Group and nice. River Connect, some of our great networks. Um, and we have Talking All Things Bird by BirdLife Murray Goulburn because they do surveys in our garden. And Miss Hulahan, who most of you would have heard of, I think, because she was very, very active, Jenny, in um, even getting gardens ha- happen in Shepparton, is going to run an activity station asking me a question, like how high were the floodwaters, how long have the gardens been going, what's their history, et cetera, et cetera. Um, our coffee van's broken down, so we don't have a coffee van anymore. Um, Kelly Lines is supposedly bringing, uh, bringing a, um, have, doing a barbecue, sausage sizzle, and we have a water cafe from Golden Valley Water. We also have a couple of other groups, one involved with a grant to advertise it and an environment group who wants to question the community. And under our beautiful old Umli Gumli tree, which is our inspirational plant um, for the day, um, we were running children's activities. So you got the whole town there. Yeah. <laughs> going by town. We hope. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry for my ignorance, but what's the Umli Gumli tree? Oh, the Umli tree. That's what we call it because it is a 200 plus year old grey box. Beautiful. Wow. And it's not beautiful, but it has much, has heaps and heaps of character. So it's seen a few, seen a few it's, floods, seen a few droughts. Been lots and lots and lots of floods. Um, I have got a most magnificent picture of it. Uh, taken at the end of September, which was two weeks later that the floods got to their highest peak, but it looks like it's on an island at that stage, yeah. and it was on a bit of an island. Um, so, And it's right beside our children's garden. And um, we know that there are brush-tailed possums in there, and there are probably plenty of other critters too. But it's just a very interesting old tree. So it was named by... I think the grandsons of someone who was involved before the gardens became gardens. And they said, you know, Grandpa, what sort of tree is this? And he said, it's the Umbly Gumbly yeah. tree. <laughs> <laughs> and when did the Shepparton Botanic Gardens start? Uh, there are the actual gardens themselves, although people fought for a long time, the actual gardens have been in place, oh, well, now I've got an extra year up my sleeve, nearly 13 years. I used to say 12, but I must remember to say 13 now. <laughs> yes. uh, so it's a work in progress, um, and uh, probably um, over a third of the site that's to be the design garden, probably closer to half, is developed. Um, we've got a great lot of bushland. Um, which, of course, all went underwater for three or four weeks, but um, it's looking beautiful, except for lots of weeds, because floods bring rubbish and they bring weeds. Um, six tandem trailers are skipped bin, and that was nothing to the rubbish that floated in. Wow. Yeah. Yes, it so, is one of the negative things about floods, isn't it? It brings <laughs> lots of lovely silt, but it can bring dead carcasses and rubbish. A lot of aliens in. But, you know, it's interesting because our little care for the rear garden which was underwater for three weeks, the majority of it. Uh, Bluebird daisies, I think I've got the name correct, mm-hmm. it's just about noxious since the floods. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and I, I, I hear that uh, one of the eremophilus, which are almost impossible to propagate um, through yes. conventional means, started recruiting in the beds in the 10s, 20s, 100s? <laughs> Just amazing, our Eremophidobilis, or winter apple, which we were nearly going to call our inspiring plant, but then 
um, it was the girl from um, Shepherd and Marupna Urban Landcare who was also on the Gardens Advisory Committee who said, why don't we use the Umli Gumli tree? And because it was big and stood out, we thought, uh, that's probably perfect, you know, yes. But, yeah, the Dabilis is just amazing how it's popped up after being underwater for three weeks, yeah. I think the Shepherd and Gardens is... It, it, it's remarkable. Uh, up until relatively recently, it was just completely just. It was completely managed by a volunteer base, a community base. And I understand that there's a, a, a staff member, member now, but it, it, it really is a garden which is embedded and of the Shepparton community. Jill, would that be a fair thing to, to say? It is, and Cuff was very good. People found out it was an area where they could exercise out in the fresh air Oh, Jill, I think we're losing you a little bit, Jill. Oh, right. Is that better? Yes. Oh, good. I won't move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, people came now. So now um, the bush kinders are back in full force and it really is just amazing. And what I have to say is, like, inspirational people is another theme. Well, to me, anyone who volunteers at the gardens or anywhere, like, you people are all inspirational people because of the roles you hold, but... Any volunteer is also an inspirational person. Here, here. Couldn't agree more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Eva, well, I, that, yeah, Virginia's, um, Virginia's got a hand up. <laughs> That's put a yeah. big smile on Virginia's. Because um, I'm Jill, I'm a volunteer at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens and have been for twenty, well, nearly twenty years. Yes. Which so and I love an, it. You're an inspirational person, and the joy of it is that sometimes we think, oh dear. But the joy of it is you met so many interesting people, like-minded people, and I have this feeling that most gardeners are really nice people. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Only in, well, Not only, but it's one of the... Uh, you can't hold on to horticultural garden information. You need to... The whole point is exchanging that and talking to other people and getting their ideas and, and um, really just... Uh, you know, rebounding off each other, what works for you, what doesn't. So, and again, Jill, you talk about the gardens being a work in progress. Every garden is a work in progress. So it's a, it's a, a I guess, a definition that can go across all gardens that yeah. we, we might be contained and maintained environments, but we're also that constant experimentation and needing for lots of reasons, whether it's floods or whether it's weeds. And believe me, Melbourne Gardens have got a truckload of weeds <laughs> as well. Um, it's it's an it, you know it's a, an incredible way to to meet and and it really important to, for that skills expertise yep. and knowledge to be shared um, and you just touch on a whole range of other really interesting points with the depth of people that or the range of people you have in the gardens I mean you've talked about plant sales you've talked about volunteers you've talked about bush kinder um, amongst you know a plethora of other things so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a you know a clap 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 yep. clap clap I can't do it too loud on radio but um, <laughs> you know. It's just um, amazing. So, yeah, fantastic work. Jill, the, um, the, the Shep and Gardens, I think the word punch above your weight comes into play. <laughs> how, did you, um, how did you feel uh, when uh, three of you from the Shepherd and Gardens rolled up to Melbourne to present at the Global Botanic Garden Congress in September 2022? Very, very nervous. <laughs> very nervous. But we had a lot of people who supported us absolutely amazing through that process. We practice our speeches to the ninth degree, so we stuck to our time limit. <laughs> removing one word, you know, and things like that. Um, so it was a marvellous experience for us. 
Um, and once again, we met all these people. You know, I'm sitting somewhere and I'm sitting next to this lady and we're chatting away. And I worked out later that, you know, she was renowned worldwide. But, but well, I can't even remember what she did. Have. But she was renowned worldwide. And here's me from Shepherd. Just having a great old normal old chit-chat with her about various things. So it was an absolute delight. But we did mention in our um, display and everything, we had some great pictures and things, um, that, you know, sometimes we have floods. And how amazing was that? Within three weeks, we were like... Underwater. Mm. Uh, uh, water. Inundated? <laughs> inundated, yeah. Well, Jill, thank you so much for ringing in. We really appreciate it. And let's call out on people. I have never been to Botanic Gardens in Shepparton and I intend to rectify that. And let's call on our listeners to, if they can, go to the Shepparton Botanic Gardens and particularly and people around there. Go today. Mm. Yes. Thank you very much. Bye. Good on you, Thanks, Jill. Jill. Well done. Bye. Well, it, it is a great garden, Shepparton, okay. isn't it? It's just a, And for the listeners that... I mean, it, it was a tip site. It was a tip, and they and it was capped, and yep. so and and the foresight to say, well, let's turn something that wasn't so beautiful into this beautiful display, and and, and the surrounding bushland is is amazing, and it's the, it's the floodplain of the Broken River. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which flows into the Gold. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, broken River. <laughs> I think it's the Broken River. I'll take you over it, John. Um, and just up the road from. Shepparton is the Gagaro Garden, which opened a couple of weeks ago. So if you're in in and around Shepparton, have a look at the Shepparton Garden and go the 27 kilometres to the west and have a look at the Gagaro Garden. Absolutely. A mere 27k. A mere 27k. Can I just pick up on your point there about um, botanic gardens being tip sites or some of yeah. them being reclaimed or novel ecosystems, I guess. So, and I'll pick on, um, pick on, pick up on, uh, say, Wilson Botanic Park in Another Berwick, urban garden. which again was a quarry. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, yeah. what can you do? It often uh, comes back to we have these spaces that have been, you know, they may have been um, farmland, they may have been quarries, they may have been, you know, a whole range of. Um, uh, I don't know different um, you know, different incarnations in in periods or past past yep. um, you know periods time or past lives um, and now they're botanic gardens which makes them kind of interesting but also can be quite challenging mm. to um, for plant growth um, yeah. when yep. you've got steep slopes and you know again you'd know all about that um, yep. text and and how you go about managing them yeah that's right and and even just the you know I mean you guys would have it from time to time the things that you might dig up and discover and and you know what was once a dump site yeah you might have things that you don't want to find underneath yeah. as well so <laughs> yes. so yeah it does have its challenges but yeah. the cramming garden another reclaim oh exactly yeah, yeah. that was a an old that, there was a segue there john yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they are often in you know compromised uh, from compromised starts yeah. yes yes and it's and <laughs> when when <laughs> In a little while, everybody, we are going to be calling, um, we're going to have our radiothon and be raising money. And um, John is just demonstrating today why we need to raise some money. First, we had to use this first aid kit to get the microphone back in order. You can say now, that literally, that you were, you were actually plundering the first aid kit. Yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't find, it, find any duct tape around, so we had to use a, a bandage. And now, and now John's also got a... And now John's seat has collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally in a clown seat. It, so it uh, keeps going up and down. When on the end of June we are asking for money, I'm hoping you'll all be very generous for us, please. Now, this is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me are Claire Hart, John Arnott and Tex Moon, who all are from our botanic gardens. 
If you wish to ring us, you can ring us on 94198377 or you can text us on 0488809855 and you can send us an email which we picked up next week at 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. And we do have one question coming in from Sonia in Broadmeadows. Oh, beauty. Her veggie patch is overrun by grass and she wants to know how to control it. By grass? Grass. Grass, yeah. Well, if it's a winter grass, Mm. if it's a winter grass, like in an annual grass, probably just pull it all out. Today's a perfect day for getting in doing a little bit of hand weeding. But I'd also, if you you can, maybe raise the garden beds a little bit to, you know, give you an opportunity to create that border or that... um, a little boundary between could be kikuyu as well. So yeah, if you've be. got a running a running grass, you know it's it's a Susie, shocker. Susie, I said you were um, a text, but you're actually online. Oh, beauty. <laughs> I mean, Sonia. Sonia. Hey, Sonia. I hope I'm uh, answering some of that. But um, yeah, literally, I'd be be doing a bit of hand weeding, trying to put in some kind no, of border, it's not possible. if possible. That's not. No, I can't. Is, am I speaking? Yes, you are. Yeah, oh, amazing. Go for it. Yeah. No, now we can really is, help. What it is, I've suddenly realised I'm getting older. <laughs> and um, the vegetable garden I had now is too large. Um, we we started to dig it up, and we were going to put paper on it with um, straw, uh, but it, things have got out of hand due to certain circumstances. I now have the, my vegetable vegetable garden, except for one spot, has got uh, grass growing on it. I heard I've got two options for me physically. One is that um, I cover it in some way, or I spray it. So I really preferred the former. I heard that if you have normal grass, you can turn it into a veggie grass by uh, killing the grass by covering it. Mm-hmm. So yep. I was wondering, could I? What should I do? Should I, in actual fact, spray it one off with you know that roundup thing, or could I put a paper on it, or could I put plastic on it and then? Um, how, how can I best handle it in my circumstances? Sonia, do you, do you know whether the grasses are, are sort of running grasses or, or they're no, sort of no, more no, upright no. tall grasses? I, I have that running grass, which I deal with when in different ways. Mm. I have that horrible little thin grass, uh, but that's also minor. The major problem is just normal grass, you know, that I have in my lawn. Mm. Well, I think, um, Sonia, you just need to kind of work out or, or maybe come to the realisation of what you can manage and go, this is actually what I want to grow. Because, um Often, um, you know, people are like, right, I need, you know, this large veggie pack, so I'm going to grow all of these things. And, you know, people have an abundance of things often that, you know, that, that they might not eat or use. So you may need to, you know, um, uh, compromise a little and go, you know, I can manage, you know, two or three smaller garden beds. And if I want to prep them and get them ready, I would, uh, my preference is to smother them with something like a cardboard. So cardboard mm-hmm. boxes, easily available. If you've got newspaper, right. that's fine as well. But you can also solarise. So again, that's... Um, uh, is using the plastic and pegging it down with something like, you know, tent pegs and uh, leaving that for a good period of time to... Um, then when you do reveal it, you'll find that, you know, anything that was under there, fairly yellow uh, grass is um, easy right. to, to then, you know, cultivate. But, yeah, yeah starve, it of, starve it of light or cook it. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah the, no. the cardboard works. It, it works really well. Well, Absolutely. you could even right. do both. So, you do could... I need anything on top of the cardboard? Like str- I, I, We usually do... Um, newspaper and straw, Great. but but what you were saying, if I I've got plastic, a big sheet of it, I've, uh, uh, doesn't matter how I got it, and um, <laughs> I have got plenty of cardboard boxes. So do I just put that on? You see, the problem is it's fenced. 
I can't turn, turn it into my lawn, normal lawn. That is a pity. Yep. Yes, and that's what I... I mean, I can speak to my family, actually, and look about uh, dealing with that. Anyway, while I'm dealing with that, um, you suggest cardboard or plastic and just cover it. And you could even do both, Sonia. You could start off with the plastic and then when you've had that there for a while, you look underneath and you see everything's well yellow. Next move to a whole lot of newspaper with maybe Ah. straw. But I also think um, a little bit of a hand from the family to yeah. change your fencing would be an excellent idea. Mm-hmm. And get them to pull some weeds right. while they're yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yes. Get yeah. them to turn across yeah. and have a cup of tea in a weed pool. Yeah. Yeah, the brainstorming. Or, 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 or else just um, go convert. If you have a raised bed, um, how in the world do you dig it? I mean, I find that it could be awfully awkward. Well, well, you don't. You don't. That's I've got raised beds and I love yeah. them. And I mean, sometimes. After years now, I will find the grass is managing to come through. My raised beds are hip high, and right. it still will occasionally come through. But it's easy to pull out. The mint comes through disgustingly. <laughs> I have to pull that out. <laughs> don't close in your teeth. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but you don't. I just put. I buy horse. I, I gather horse poo locally, or I buy chook poo or cow poo, and I just spread that on at the beginning of my planting season. Um, just till it in a little bit and plant straight into it each mm. year. I, and, and I put newspaper down, I put straw down, I put, I started off with newspaper straw, newspaper straw, newspaper straw because it was such, I didn't want to put that much soil in the in the bin. Oh, yeah. So I filled it up almost to the top with newspaper and straw, then waited till that started to sink down, bought in some soil and put it on top and just used it ever since. And I did that 15 years ago. Ah, well, I've got plenty of soil. I could give it away. Um, and, and composty soil. So Excellent. I see. You've actually raised me an entirely different way of looking at things. And you still I'm need so to get rid of the fence. I need to get rid of that fence. Now, you, you've, you've really got me thinking and also feeling positive now. Very I good. thought it's like your physical body. It's gone to heaven. But um, I see. Thank you. So now I can look up about raised beds and um, yeah. with my family and yeah. learn a bit. Yes, yeah. and get some straw and and save new, find people who still buy newspapers or go to one of your local cafes and say, "Can I have your newspapers?" Yeah. So and just build up the I, bottom that way. Heap of information you'll find online. Like, and I, I was just kind of recalling the the first book that I had on no dig gardening, which was that laying. It was Esther Dean's No Dig Gardening. You'll find that in an op shop. I've got a few copies okay. of that. And, and some of it's still relevant. Some of it you just have to kind of, um, you know, sift through. But uh, basically the, the recipe for it's all good. So the No Dig uh, uh, book and then uh, it's called Raised Beds. Yes, just look and up Raised Beds. Yeah. Okay. And look, buy I some tin. You buy some what? Tin. Tin? So you could, it's for your raised beds. For, for the sides. For the sides. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, look, this is all new. But really, what you've just said, you've actually <laughs> made, made my day. Great. Uh, yeah, I'm looking good. at things entirely differently. And, oh, look, I do thank you. Excellent. I may have to get back to you to some little advice along the way. Some reporting as well. well how do. are you going? Yes, report in, definitely. Yes. And we want to hear yes. in spring how it's all going. Yes. Oh, you've put a positive aspect to a fairly miserable day. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> and visit your local Sonia. botanic garden. Yeah, happy botanic gardens day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And I love your show. We, we listen a lot to it. I just like listening to things I don't have any personal application to, but it's so informative. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank Sonia. You. Nice to talk. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, 
I think that is, I think no dig, for, particularly for um, vegetable gardens, mm. is a really good idea. Yeah, and mm. it is about building up that soil profile, mm. getting, um, you know, and, and yeah, it is minimal intervention, I guess. So, um, and then once you, I forgot to mention observation, that's the big one. Go out, have a look, see what's happening. And then, you know, when you do that on a daily basis, you do keep on, well, like you, you can manage the weeds. I don't know if you ever keep on top of them, but you start to recognise what's what you want in that space. You know, with the mint, for example, you'd probably like, well, that's taking up way too much space. Get rid of it. Um, and not necessarily that. Not it's, only have it's I got mint weed. in my garden, I've got horseradish. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> now there is a disaster. Yeah. Nobody plant horseradish. I know it's as a crop, it's worth a fortune. Yeah, yeah. but it, I agree, it uh, just pops dreadful. up. Yeah. Hey, it's I made a mistake about planting. <laughs> Raspberries. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, I've got raspberries. I like my raspberries. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, but but they, they, they can grow from a patch to a, to a field pretty well, quickly, yeah, can't yeah, they? Yeah, they're a strong coloniser. Mm. Yeah. Which I'm just starting to realise. Mm. Not as bad as mint. No. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, out. for years I didn't really have trouble with the mint mm. because it wasn't, was drought. Wasn't, wasn't yeah. warm, uh, and it would enough. disappear every yeah. summer completely. The, the weather would control it for me. But yeah. unfortunately... Yeah, the it's last few really years. really loved the rain for the <laughs> last few years. We've had uh, quite, you know, the, uh, I guess, well, that La Nina. Mm-hmm. We now, it hasn't been called yet, but I know the Bureau are um, in, on the cusp of, of uh, suggesting that we might be um, entering a El Nino. Again, that is kind of uh, hotter, drier. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I've just come back from the Galapagos mm-hmm. and they are expecting a complete change. Mm-hmm. From uh, wet to dry? Um, yes. Yeah. And when it gets really dry, they lose 75% yeah. of some of their, their animals. Amazing. Wow. It's just extraordinary. Mm. Uh, wow. Okay, that's, a, that's really... Sobering. But anyway, yes, it, it's, it's going to be a change and people complain about the rain, but if I have rain or drought and bushfires, I'll go for rain. Yeah. I'll go for rain. You, well, That's yeah, right. I know. Apart from flooding, but uh, water in a garden is absolutely crucial, oh, as we know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We have another call from Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Virginia. Uh, look, why I'm ringing is um, it's for my son. He's pulled out some bamboo and he wants to grow something in the spot, but it gets very little sun but it, he wants it to be edible. And I thought, well, I can't think of any vegetables, really. That need no sun. Is it, is it no yeah. sun or yeah. limited sun? Uh, I'd say a little bit around lunchtime. Wow. And how large is the space, or is it narrow because of the bamboo? So is it side of a house uh, type well, thing? The, the bamboo's gone. It mm-hmm. was up against the fence. It's uh, probably, I can't remember, it's not a very wide bed. Um, but I was wondering... I can't think of vegetables other than parsley. <laughs> yeah, leafy greens might go yeah. okay at, at, at that scale. And um, the other thing that would work is it maybe if you go up, mm. growing beans and things like that, so they'll yeah. go up to the sun. Or, or grow yeah. things that you climber. could pick. Yeah. You know, things like... Well, then, um, I, then I thought berries. Um, mm. You'll I have the same I... sort of problem as you get from bamboo. Berries are actually very hard to control. Mm. I was thinking maybe things that you could pick, like herbs, um, no, lorris, her- bays, bays and lemon myrtle and things like that. But most of them need sun. Yeah, those two are pretty good in shade. It just is, and you could just clip them. A to, bay tree. Yeah, and you could just clip them to to to, to um, 
make sure they don't turn into a tree. Yeah, mm. and again, yeah. hedge hedge your bets, hedge your bets. Um, and uh, you know, we kind of it's a classic, but it does like the cooler root system. Um, and that shady area is, is something like a passion fruit, but you need to get that up and established. Yeah. Yeah. Does like the sun, but if if it can get if it can get to the top of the fence, then it's uh, got an opportunity to to grow. There might be a few sort of alt- not alternate things, but things that aren't so common, like myrtus and maybe even midgen berries and things like that. They'll grow in quite heavy shade. Mm. So a couple of things that you might be able to crop. Yeah. Midgen berries. Yeah. Midgen. Ostromyrtus. Ostromyrtus dulcis. Dulcis, yeah. That's it. That's delicious. It it's delicious. it's probably one of my favourite um, favourite food plants. I just mm. love it when I get those little crops little, of berries. Little peppery oh, pops of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Delish. Well, there's oh, some my. suggestions for you, Sharon. Thank you. I'll suggest it to him. I thought the bamboo was quite fine, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, and you'll need to do a little bit of soil prep if the bamboo's been in there because, yeah. you know, you, you'll, yeah, you'll need to yeah. add some some, uh, some organic matter, yep. let's say. They're pretty hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Chook poo. Oh, yeah. Yep. Good. Well, Thank you. Best of luck. Thanks very much. Well, I think that's, yes, we don't tend to grow vegetables in our botanic gardens, do we? Uh, they're all. I'd say they're mixed through. Like you know, we have a lot of um, uh, plants that we don't necessarily identify as being you know food plants. So particularly trees and things. But we've got I'll say things like lemon myrtle all throughout the. Mm. And I know it's you know not so much a, a vegetable per se, but um, other fruiting plants as well. Um, and then we've got the the kitchen garden, uh, which is associated to the uh, children's garden, which is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, chockers with a uh, actually probably lead into. Oh, uh, and I must say, Jen, Jenny, Jenny Bell. <laughs> Why don't we bring our next guest in? Yeah, and can, I can, can talk about talk the yeah, began's webinars. Yeah, it'd be great. And our next guest is Costa. Good morning, Costa. Good morning. How uh, are you all? Hey, good, Costa. Hey, hey Costa. Costa. And you, Costa, are ambassador for the Botanic Gardens Day and have been for the last five years. Yeah, look, it's a, a real privilege and I love my opportunity to be able to put the word out about everything that Botanic Gardens are doing and really help raise awareness about the people in the gardens and the important scientific research, the, the horticultural um, practices and experimentation and seed saving and, and, and travel that they do into landscapes to, to collect, you know, threatened and endangered species and garner more information about them. Like, there's so many stories. And, and for me, that's the ultimate opportunity to, you know, when the team, when the Begans um, Committee put together... Um, anything and ask me to, to, to share the word, uh, you know, it's it's like, wow, you want me to talk about these awesome people? Okay, how long do I have? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Costa, do you, do you ever say no to, a, to a, 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 an opportunity that, you, that you're aligned to? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> hey, hey, you co- can't say yeah, no. <laughs> no yeah, no. Hey, Costa, the panel, the panel today, it's, uh, it's, it's John from Cranbourne. We've got Virginia as a guide at the Melbourne Gardens. We've got Tex Moon up at the Dandelong Ranges and Claire Hart from the, from the Melbourne Gardens. So they're the voices that you're going to hear over the next few minutes. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Great to, great to, be, um, great to be part of your chat, uh, you know, on such a day. And... I suppose a day that, you know, through the efforts of lots of people, we're really starting to to make it uh, 
a, a recognised calendar. A, it's a thing. Event, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, and and I don't know, it started five years ago. Have you have you sensed the growth in yeah, in Botanic Gardens Day? A hundred percent. Like um, you know, people. People are, uh, are hearing about it because more people are sharing it because over that time more people have become a part of it and maybe gone to a workshop or gone and seen behind the scenes or, or you know, seen the webinars that we're doing and, and or, or done the plant challenge. Like all these, all these little things, it's not like, it's not the sort of thing that you want to say, oh, let's, let's drop all this money into some big advertising campaign and that's going to solve it. This is this is a real slow burn and I think it's about getting people hooked and then like there's no release. Like that, that's it. <laughs> you, you know, they're, they're and caught. one of the things about Botanic Gardens Costa is there are a lot of volunteers at all of our gardens and that becomes a very important way of spreading the word. I mean, I'm one of the volunteers at Melbourne and we get international visitors a lot because we have mm. free walks every morning and those and then we get an international visitor who says oh well my friends were here two years ago and they said mm. and i mean that's important too absolutely yeah because that i mean that um that volunteer side of things that that is an ongoing promotion because they're constantly sharing that information with their friends and then you get all of the regular visitors that are coming in when you think about the work that goes on in the children's gardens mm. uh, at, you know, in Melbourne and also um, in, in other gardens. Like, that's getting schools and, and uh, students in. So, so there's kind of multiple layers that it's happening. And, but the volunteers are priceless. Um, the work that they do, and whether, whether I'm talking about, you know, the propagation work that I saw the the volunteers at the Gold Coast Botanic Gardens doing recently, or whether it's the, the, the volunteer guides that are out there taking people on those tours that are hooking people up to, to new ideas and new people and new, new thoughts about plants and places that plants are in. I mean, all of these things add up to, to building a, a watershed, you know, a real, a real momentum. Yeah. And Costa, I, I, I think as far as the raising the profile of Botanic Gardens Day, I don't think it be, can be understated. The the impact that you've had had on that, you've been incredibly generous to the Begans network over the last few years. And, and part of that has been, and certainly this year has been the same uh, over the last two years, hosting uh, webinars in the lead up to it. And is it something you'd like to reflect on? Oh, look, I have had such a good month. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know... I don't know where the month has gone because when I got the first sort of uh, briefing for, the, for, for webinar number one from, from Tim and, and John and Rebecca and, and um, Eamon, I was like, oh, okay, wow, look at, look at this. And, and what, an incredible, what, a, what an incredible start that one was with, with Gemma and Michael um, and, um, and, and looking into, you know, fire and fire resilience and um oh sorry who was the third person i've just gotten the third person down in um in um, Malacuda. oh Malacuda. Uh, bryce 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 bryce, bryce and bryce. michael oh what a what a powerhouse is bryce um but, but you look at 
you look at that that topic and it was so important and so relevant to, to people to, to have that follow up. And then out of that we went, you know, to the to the wonderful example that's going on at the Australian National Botanic Gardens around their conservatory. And the fact that you've got that big investment of money going into a conservatory and that's important for every botanic gardens around the country because the money going into the conservatory and the new seed bank of the National Botanic Garden is raising the importance of all that work and helping other botanic gardens go cap in hand to fundraisers and to councils if they're, if they're regional because a lot of the regional botanic gardens uh, are supported by, by councils. But they can go there and say, look at what's going on. And that's building such a consciousness around pants. I love the talk um, that... Uh, uh, that was Heather, two, two H's, I remember, Heather and Helen. That's it. Heather, um, they were, to learn about it, I cannot wait for November to get yeah. down there and, and see that. And, and, you know, to think that, that there's one king palm that's been held in their collection behind the scenes for more than 55 yeah. years, and it's going to get a home. Like, and, and, and you could hear it in their voices, like they were so excited about it. And, <laughs> you, you know, you just go, well, oh, like that's... That's what it's about, getting that message out there. And then, and then you know, we, we went into um, the edible uh, guard, edible plants. And, and, like, we could have kept that going seminar going till 7 a.m. the next day. Because <laughs> well, you did go overtime on that one because I was listening. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was a – I just need to probably bring in um, Jenny Bell here. So I work closely with Jenny and she is the uh, – Horticultural curator of the um, children's garden at the at Melbourne Gardens, and I, her ethos is: Can I eat it? Um, <laughs> so every plant she will try and see, you know, is this? Can I eat it? Is there some way that you know we we can use this? And and we'll try uh, multiple different plants. Though the experimentation going on as well, which is again all about what we do at gardens. Um, uh, generally, but um, in a botanic yeah. garden, it's that constant uh, changing and, uh, I guess, pushing ourselves and furthering our, our ideas about plants and and how we can um, not just use them, but 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 um, uh, reflect that back into a, a healthier uh, ecosystem and uh, biodiversity. So it's it's so yeah. connected. Oh, like I mean, is that the best ethos? Like, is that the most childlike ethos? Can I eat it? <laughs> That's what any kid wants to do with well, everything. Can I put it in She's my mouth? She's the perfect curator for a children's yeah. garden because it's, that's exactly what uh, yeah, yeah. most of the kids come in and, oh, I'll have a, you know, can I eat it? Well, yeah. you know, have a, yeah. have a, have a go. <laughs> yeah, like, the, and the energy that Jenny and Karen brought to that yeah. super. webinar was, oh, like, that, that, that's why we went over because there was just so many questions coming in. And, and when's and, the next and, webinar? Well, the, we had the last one um, on Thursday. last Thursday, and and it was like it was such a beautiful contrast to the overflow of questions in in that one. In in the next one, where we had Donna Carriage from from across the ditch, and then Adam Ship out at Dubbo, and Cleona Maguire. Wow! About yeah. The the, the cultural um, use of plants in culture and medicine um like that that was the most wonderful conversation and what was interesting was the crowd didn't have a lot of questions because they were doing what the three of them spoke about so 
in, in such a united way, which was a, a, all about active listening. Mm-hmm. And they had the audience captivated. The, the and, level of I mean, storytelling in that one was incredible. Oh, it, was it was just, yeah, talk about inspirational people. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I think awe, the word awe. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, that one went for nearly two hours, Costa. That was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I mean, I'm... I'm really conscious that, you know, you sort of make a contract with people and say, yep, it's going to be from seven to eight. Um, <laughs> this, however, Just was slipped our last over. <laughs> and it was, it was like, there was no way that I could have just said, oh, well, thank you. Um, we're Cheerio. all kind of really freaking out here with this <laughs> conversation that we've heard. And I'm going to push in. Like, people <laughs> needed that time to, to actually keep synthesising as they chatted a little more and unpacked it as a collective, like not in their individual presentations, but on stage, on, on screen together. And, and you just, when you listen to a conversation like that and when you think about what you spoke about at the beginning about, you know, what's, what's got in store and what's, what's the future holds, Oh, you know, take me to heaven on the fast train. But right. there's, there's things to be done. There's, there's, and, and, there's so much. And what a beautiful lead up, uh, curtain raiser to Reconciliation Week. It was just, yeah. it, was, it, it, it was, it was, it was so special. Costa, we've we've uh, we've dropped all four uh, a link to all, all four of the webinars onto the the three CR socials. So mm-hmm. folks listening in that might have missed out on uh, on any of the the, the the sessions, they're they're all on a link which is uh, which was posted this morning from um, from Liz. So thanks so much, Liz. Uh, in the background, uh, yeah. So if people can uh, view on demand over the over the, and not go to your botanic garden, come back, have a shower, yeah. have a nice cup of tea, warm up, and yeah. and, and have a listen, yeah. have a tune into these uh, yeah. webinars. They were very special. Also, a big. Um, we need to just talk about botanic gardens Australia New Zealand. So it is our um, our uh, botanic gardens network um, who organised uh, the webinars and all the people behind that. It's an excellent yeah. organisation. Um, yeah, our peak networking uh, professional body that helps us to um, promote Botanic Gardens and bring it back to, you know, all the work that uh, you've done over the last month with interviewing guests. So thank you, Costa, and thank you to everyone. Again, a lot of volunteers who put their time in to make that happen. Yep, indeed. Yep. Thanks so much, Costa. Oh, it's look, been lovely my, talking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. My cup is full. I've just come back from the 20th birthday of Mackay Botanic Gardens and <laughs> Laurie, Laurie Smith, the designer, and nice. Lisa Kermode, the curator, and the Society for Growing Australian Plants, the work that they've done in crafting these gardens to this point, yep. um, the plans that they have to take, to go across the, the lagoon and and into the, the, the next area, it, it's just so wonderful and and to, to see the crowd that turned up yesterday, there was hundreds and hundreds of people that came along and it was a beautiful starter. They've got great plans for their day ahead. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing the stories of people going out and visiting their gardens and, and the importance of the regional gardens. That's what I love. Like, that, that, they Absolutely. are growing. Absolutely. It is incredibly important and Victoria is particularly good at having regional gardens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Costa. Thanks, Thanks Costa. A lot. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Great Costa. Chat, everyone. Happy Botanic Gardens Day, mate. <laughs> now, I'll just give out that phone number again, 94198377. And if you wish to text, 0488 809 855.
Kim has texted in from Shep. Um, he says, I visited Shepparton Botanic Gardens years ago and it's a no-dogs garden. I wish more gardens would allow dogs. Well, we allow dogs on a lead. Uh, he also adds, I have killed horseradish so often my neighbour refuses to give me any more. I don't know how he's done that. Kim, send in your phone number and I'll ring you. You can come and get some of my horseradish any day. Yeah, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, uh, maybe go to a botanic garden, have a chat to some of the volunteers and guides or the staff and get some more tips because you might, sounds like you need them, sorry. Uh, and, and you can leave the pooch at home, not, not you, you know, uh, yes, some gardens will have dogs, some not. Um, you just got to observe that and respect, you know, what's being asked because there's various reasons Um yeah, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll put up our hand and say, exactly. I mean, uh, the Dandenong Range is Botanic Garden. All of our other garden sites, you can you can have the dog and a lead, but the Botanic Garden particularly you can't. And, and a lot of that's to do with the fact that we've got such an active lyrebird population yep. within that garden. And, and you know, yes, one dog might stay in a lead, but if you're all of a sudden got 100 dogs a day or more coming yep. through the garden, then, and you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll see our, our lyrebird population diminish. And that's such a special thing to be able to come and, and, and see in a... And here. And here, up close and personal in, in, in a... In a garden that's that's used to having visitors around, you know, it's 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 a special thing. So similarly with Cranbourne, with the um, uh, southern brown bandicoots, uh, they they'd be a mere tiny morsel for uh, for a large dog, mm. and it's yeah. you know it's the it's the biggest uh, stronghold of um, southern brown bandicoots anywhere in southeast Australia, and it's even the scent it even comes down to the uh, scent, absolutely, the scent yeah, of that's the dog. right, yeah, so. Yeah, it's not mean spirited. It's just um, looking after for the every, values of the yeah, site. Or, yeah, yeah. We, you know, when we think about, um, I guess, plants and uh, people and and animals as well, we need to have that balance. Yep. Yep. And we've also had a message from Michelle. Can you use the leaves from plane trees as mulch on the garden? I've heard they can be allopathic. Well, I think I use leaves from plane trees the only thing i would say is i would mow them before i put them on my yeah. compost because the they are area. very tough yeah. yeah but they're excellent on the garden any there's not a leaf that's not good on your garden i mean that's yeah. what a forest is leaves on the floor yeah. mm. and but just, just yeah do mow it break yeah. them up yeah. yeah mow them i think they really do need um a bit of a mow yeah because they are mm. particularly tough i heard a terrible thing on the radio this morning mm. The Japanese Prime Minister has decided he's going to pull out thousands of the Japanese cedar tree across Japan because of their hay fever epidemic. Wow. Oh. Wow. This seems to me tackling the problem from the wrong end myself. Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, this was at, at sort of four o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous. Yeah. So I was thinking about the program. It's not, it's not yeah. April Fool's Day. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Interesting to hear that. Um, that um, interview, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but I also agree. There's other ways that you know we can tackle and benefit things. It was so. plane trees that made me think of it. Because yeah. people are always saying, "Oh, we should pull out the plane trees." Well, mm. one of the reasons plane trees are in cities is they, because they, they cope with they the pollution yeah. that we make, yeah. and, and, and they grow well. And believe me, as a street tree, it is a hard gig. Mm. If I came back in another life, it would not be as a street tree. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely. Does the Botanic Gardens Day always fall on the last Sunday of May every year? It currently does. Uh, we would love to review that. <laughs> to have it on a warmer day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have it in spring or um, that, yeah. that sort of... But, or, yeah, no, it, it currently does. It, yeah. it, it, um, 
it is the last Sunday of May, and that's the tradition. But um, how did that tradition form? Uh, I don't really know. Um, uh, there's a, I mean, there's critical mass of gardens in Victoria and and, and fewer in Tassie, but I think if if you go up the east coast, um, that's where oh, I don't know. It was an east coast um, decision. But of course, of course, further up, it's a lovely time. Lovely time, yeah. Mm. yeah. And you wouldn't want to have it in summer. You, well, you wouldn't want to have it in summer. Pr- anyway. Pretty good in Perth. Yeah, but not, maybe maybe not we could have a have a you know something that reflected all of our yeah, kind yeah, of needs right. a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I've got but to say, look at, at Melbourne Gardens at the moment. It is particularly beautiful with the um, mm. with the leaf drop. Um, Oak Lawn is looking stunning, um, you know. And there are multiple places around the garden to to experience more of the framework. As you see those deciduous um, trees shedding their leaves, you just start to see more views. And um, you know, I think you can uh, just see that um, or engage a little bit more in, into areas that you might want to move through and into. Um, a little bit easier. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty good up in the hills too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and across the whole landscape, up in it's it's um, incredible when you can sort of get these big views and you've just got dotted colour yeah. all, all all the way across. And at the at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden at the moment, and all the other gardens up there, the, the star is the ginkgo. Like a lot of things have 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 finished, finished. up by now, but yeah, the. The, uh, every year, I, I I'm just stunned at the colour of of ginkgos, yeah. and, and you know we we do actually lock up the garden at night, so so we we're on a rotating kind of roster, and you know, but so by five o'clock when we're closing the gate, it's pretty dark yeah, up, yeah. up in the up in Alinda at that time at the moment. But these the ginkgos are like a beacon; they just Quite they luminous. just yeah, yeah yeah they're just so bright and, and the striking. Thing, the thing with the ginkgos, it's a it's a uniform. It, mm. You don't get that sort of multiple reds and yellows in in, in a single leaf. It mm. just is it just a consistent colour through the leaf. Yeah, yeah, it but, is. Yeah, yeah, I think I once described it as gold for free. Yeah, it, yeah. It's so well, it is buttery, but it's so golden. Yeah, yeah. And it's the shape as well. I mean, yeah. that, that beautiful kind of maiden hair looking. That shape of yeah. the leaf is yeah. particularly gorgeous. Yeah. You can make it? things with it as well. That comes down it, like you can turn them into little butterflies. Like it's a super <laughs> easy little um, uh, you know twist Activity. that you can use. Um, uh, it, yeah, just a, a stunning tree and a great ornamental tree, great for uh, uh, home gardens as well. So, you know, it's a tree that people can really grow with, not super fast, but, yeah. but a okay. stunning addition. And, and when the, you get the carpets, the, yeah. I think the, the carpet of leaves, once they've hit the ground, <laughs> are just as impressive yeah. as because as, you get this, this, this ring of Gold. yellow, butter yellow. It's a, that's a, a real... Uh, tension point i think sometimes in, in <laughs> gardens where yeah. one person wants to blow the leaves oh, away the yes, next person wants you know and yeah. we've got to mow it we can't see the grass we got to yeah. better but yeah no the, that car as you say the carpet of leaves underneath is, is incredible and so and a gift too for the, for the garden you know this is the thing with deciduous trees is that then you've got this great mulch you can either leave or distribute through the rest of your garden so yeah and nice. whatever you do do distribute it don't burn it yeah yeah Ah, it's just extraordinary when you see people raking up and burning the leaves. Does what that, a waste. Does that still happen? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah it does. In does. the suburbs, it does. Because yeah. uh, mm. there are people who think that nature should be tidy, mm. which it shouldn't. No. It's not meant to be tidy. So I think uh, we've talked about deciduous plants a little bit more or, or trees and things, but I'm going to go to Cranbourne, John, and mm. just ask for that, um, uh, I guess, that native garden um, uh I guess, um, highlights at the moment because I know things like the Corias, the Grevilleas, some of that winter flowering stuff. Yep. Again, just those those elements, those little kind of um, jewel flowers at the end of foliage that you really, really need going into winter is stunning. 
Grevilleas and Banksias. Mm. I'd, I'd add to that list. I mean, the, it, it's Banksia season. Um, so many, so many Banksias are, uh, are doing their thing at the moment. And yeah, Grevilleas in all of their shapes, sizes, forms are really hitting their straps. Yeah. Yeah. Hakeas. I think Hakeas it's the Hakea yeah, yeah. both. Oh, the one that the, the cauliflower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, have you still got that growing well? We we, we do. Hey, Corimboso, it's a big sort of dome shrub, rounded shrub to maybe two metres. And, and it looks like it might be something that you could cuddle, <laughs> except for the fact that it's armed with these needles, <laughs> like absolute needles. You could actually impale yourself on a Hey, Corimboso. Yeah, but, a, but a, 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 like a, a, just a fascinating flower. Fascinating flower, yeah. 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 Well, my garden... I, I'm always astounded when that open garden scheme closes over winter. Mm. The one time of year I do not let people come to my garden is February. Yeah, sure. And usually the beginning of March. Sure. It's dry, it's miserable. Yep. If it's been really hot, even the agapanthus are melting. It's just hideous. <laughs> Whereas at the moment, my garden, is, they've got a whole lot of natives in flower. Camellias? And beautiful. The camellias are just starting. I've yes. got about 30 camellia mm. trees, so they're just going to keep coming out mm. now for another month. And for then months. the bulbs will start coming. Yeah. And some of the bulbs have started already, yeah. in, uh, some of the South African bulbs, and it's it's... My garden looks gorgeous. This yeah. is the this is the, the tip. It's the you don't. The, there's not one time to visit no. a garden, you know. And and I think we get caught up in the, certainly up there. We have our crazy spring peak, and which is which is amazing. It's it's like to see all rhododendrons everywhere in bloom, and and Caroos. cherries, and every carim azaleas, and it's it's amazing. But to to spread that throughout the year, like there is always something to see. There's always and 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 I just think that. Like getting to know those seasonal differences is is such an important part of of, of gardens in general. Mm, um, and I'm getting uh, looking forward to that the scent that comes through winter as well. So mm. we have the daphnes and the cheonanthus, and it's just a yeah. and it, a stunning time for. Um, I, I, I guess while some of the plants might be dormant, we aren't. Like we, are, it's an incredibly active time. I think it's a really good point. Like. Um, yeah. You know, as um, horticulturists, we might be a bit sleepy um, during that uh, summer time because we know it's time to rest. But, you know, come winter, we're, we're out there. Yeah. So that's that's your, your boots and your, and you it's, know. And, and I very much feel it's something we've inherited because when I lived in London, you did just go to sleep in yep. February. It was cold. You didn't go out very often because it was too cold. And the ground, you couldn't dig it because it was too wet. Yep. It was a logical... And the weirdest thing for me now is living back here again. It's the same month. February for me, neither of my homes, Melbourne or London, is appropriate for the garden. <laughs> too hot, too cold. Jeez, so we're having a Goldilocks moment here. <laughs> the, the downtime, the bookend downtime. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas winter, I love my garden in winter. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so do I. I, Just, I, I saw an wonderful. article and I can't remember who wrote it. It was called The Hyperactive Winter Garden and, and, and it was about that, um, that we don't have we certainly have, you know, winter dormancy and some woody plants and some trees and things like that. But in terms of, you know, orchids, wildflowers, mm. um, oh, heaps orchids. and heaps and heaps of the Australian Australian flora actually come in, comes into their own um, you know, from now until until, until September yeah. or... Because yeah. they... Well, the Apacris impressa. Apacris impressa. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of those plants think the same as we do. Oh, God, February's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to flower in February. No, right? exactly. It's I'm just, just going to hang in there in February yeah. and make sure that just I survive. Yeah. Hold on to a little bit of water and <laughs> get through. <laughs> so I think that... I think really... And I love walking around the botanic gardens now. I mean, I've been a guy... And by the way, if you're interested in becoming a guide at the botanic gardens and you're quick... 
and you ring the Botanic Gardens this week, we are recruiting new guides. And it is a fabulous thing to do. It is What's just involved with that, Virginia? Is there training? And we, yes, there is training. The training will start quite soon, mm-hmm. which is why you'd have to ring in immediately. What's the number at the Botanic Gardens, Claire? Uh, I don't know. Top. Actually, oh, no, I haven't got it. Uh, uh, oh, isn't that terrible? We both ring it all the time. Oh, no, I've got John's. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, look, it's, it's easily available on, yes. the, on the website. Yes. So, yeah. But <sighs> if, if you're interested in being a guide, ring them on Monday or Tuesday and um, because they are recruiting new guides. And, of course, what we do is we take walks around the garden. We train. The training is fabulous because you learn all sorts of things you didn't know. So we do training that covers the history because the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne does have a very important history and also covers some information about about the gardens and the plants. But you don't. nobody who comes in is expected to have a lot of knowledge. Mm. We train people to have that knowledge and then we take we have a meeting once a month which we are all expected to go to and that always has further training aspects to it. Mm. And we take a walk once, twice, sometimes three times a month. So yeah. it's not too demanding. Constant um, information sharing. Can I give a shout-out to five more botanic gardens that we haven't mentioned yet? I've got Malmesbury, Kyneton, Castle, Maine, uh, Bendigo and Ballarat. Beautiful. There you go. There's a handful. Awesome. And the garden, the phone number for the Melbourne Gardens is 9252-2300. Oh, oh well done. 9252-2300 if you're interested in being a guide. Yes. And you'd highly endorse it, wouldn't you? I've being a guide. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, you know, I've stuck it so long, which is extraordinary really, but it's because it is. And I, one of the best walks I ever did was with one man from Britain and I was meant to be taking him on an hour and a half walk. We walked for three hours (laughs) (laughs) and he was so knowledgeable and we taught each other so much. You know, and it's that um, exchange again, yeah, 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 yeah. and the storytelling. Oh, the yeah. stories are, are immense. And speaking of the botanic gardens, after all, the director oh, of our botanic way. gardens, Tim Entwistle, is online. Hi, Tim. Hello, Virginia. <laughs> hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. Uh, this Hi. is like being at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tim. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. <laughs> but we're talking about botanic gardens. Yours and my favourite topic, Tim. Uh, it is exactly, and I should tell you just in case you haven't um, found it yet. Nine two five two two three double zero. Correct, Tim. Good yep. on you, Tim. You know the number. Neither Claire nor I did. How embarrassing! Uh, I, ring it. I don't need to ring it. So. <laughs> exactly. You're in there. Um, no, look, it's a great. Uh, really, really delighted to be on today because you know, as, yeah, as you've been celebrating all show, the the botanic gardens are just amazing things. You know, a few of us on this call and, and the Texas there, I know as well, but. We work at, um, you know, two of the great botanic gardens, Cranbourne and Melbourne, but in Victoria having uh, 40 or so regional botanic gardens, all of which doing great things, and all of them a bit different, which I think is fantastic as well. I know you had some from Shepparton on earlier. Each of these botanic gardens, you know, does it just a little bit differently, which I think is great. You don't want them all exactly the same. So, yeah, great day of celebration. Yeah, great, Tim. Um, and, and, Tim... Rumour has it um, that you're finishing up at the RBGV in, uh, wait, it's a small number of weeks now. Is that is there any sense to that rumour, truth to that rumour? <laughs> yeah, yes, John. Um, <laughs> in, in, in two months' time, on, two on months the 3rd of, 3rd, of, 3rd of August, I'll be finishing up. But, yeah, it's been 
take a little bit of a, a wind a wind down and a wind up to that. So that's after ten and a bit years at uh, Melbourne Gardens as director here, and but probably twenty five years in kind of what I call senior management. So working at Sydney Botanic Gardens as director and queue for a couple of years. But even before that, of course, um, some people know I, I was working at Melbourne Gardens for nearly ten years as well as a, a botanist. So I, you know, I love. Love botanic gardens. I love this place. Tim, Tim, have you worked in? Have you ever worked in a botanic garden that isn't royal? Isn't royal? Um, good, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I've uh, I've really planned my career around linking up to the royal family in whatever possible way I can. I'm I'm, I'm such a monarchist, John. I, <laughs> Um, but not really. But it's, Say um, that with such conviction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But no, look, I, it's interesting, though, having worked at, um, you know, the Sydney, Q and, and Melbourne, if you like, as, as three, yeah, carrying the royal. And this is about, I think, about 10 or 11 royal botanic gardens around the world. And, yeah, it's a bit of a weird a weird name, a thing to attach to a botanic garden. But, of course, you know, that if they have that tradition going back through to the to Europe and you know, not so much the UK, but you know they they did begin as fairly prestigious places mm. that royal families would like to associate with. So I think it means you know I've worked at three three of the very uh, three of the very best, three of the great ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And reflections, Tim, on you know ten of the big years at the at the helm as chief executive of the of the RBGV. Yeah, look, it's um, it was really interesting coming back to a place where I worked already. So I already loved the place, and that that was. It was a bit like coming home, but and and it's it's a garden that you've been talking about that wonderful Guildford landscape at Melbourne, and the fact that Cranbourne's won, I think it's we're over thirty international awards now, uh, mm-hmm. national and international awards for that design. So you know, the, the coming back to a place that was already already buzzing along. The thing that I was keen to do at the start was to build on that and uh, take us a bit externally. So so to look outwardly try and promote a bit more about the work that we did in a few of the things you've been talking about. So it's, it's not just the beautiful landscapes, which are spectacular. It's about the the, uh, the science we do, of course, because I'm, you know, I'm a scientist at heart as well, the seed banking, the fire recovery, bushfire recovery, orchid conservation, things like that. Mm. Also the cultural aspects. I've, I'm really keen and not shy of seeing botanic gardens as this mix, and I often say, you know, nature, science and culture, but I... I do believe they can do all those things together in a really good garden. Should not be embarrassed by trying to appeal to people, get people in, get them excited, mm. and then you know take them on that journey to understanding plants. So yeah, I, I feel feel we've done that in in Melbourne, and you know made, made progress a, a long way on that as well. Yeah. And I have to say, Tim, the other thing that I think you've done, which is of international importance, is you've developed a long-term strategy for the gardens that also is taking into account climate change. Yeah, that's been that's been really exciting. And I, and I should say everything that you know, I do in inverted commas is kind of led by staff. And I do think, you know, I'm not just saying this, I think as a director you, you create a place where good things happen. So that things like the climate change have been built up from grassroots. Some of the you know, conservation horticulture work we do come from the the staff particularly, but that climate change initiative, if you like, having a strategy for so far for Melbourne, we'll also do the same for Cranbourne. I think it's it's looking at you know the plants 
that we need to put... If a, if a tree dies, what do you put in that's going to survive the climate in Melbourne? But then building on that to create the Climate Change Alliance for Botanic Gardens, having the first meeting in 2018, signing uh, a document. Um, we're out at Cranbourne, actually, you know, near the, the Red Sand Garden there. Very hot day in summer. We all signed up. But these were the initial sort of members of that alliance. That was, I think, a dozen people there at that meeting. There's now over 500 around the world uh, sharing. Uh, look, look at how we can not only work to, to stop climate change. We, we as Botanic Gardens want to work hard to try and stop people creating the problem and, and try to fix the problem. But equally, we know we look after these amazing landscapes. But if we don't, we don't actually adapt, if you like, or mitigate, um, you know, what's going on to the or you know those particular landscapes. We won't leave something to the next generation. So even with a, a beautiful heritage landscape, we've got to work out how we're going to keep that looking like that, functioning mm. like that. Mm. Same at Cranbourne. So mm. I do think, you know, that that's something that's really important for Botanic Gardens. Yep. We've been talking about the stories today, Tim, and um, I know that there's going to be a story attached to your legacy tree uh, because it's a Quercus engelmannii, and that did come from the... You know, we, we can have as many plants and strategies as we want, but they need to result in actions. And um, the importing of that seed came about through horticulturists and arborists speaking with um, our San Diego Botanic Gardens, which put, put us in touch with um, the LA Arboretum, who said, we've got you know these um, acorns, um, and they're certainly available to you. So there was a, a lot of uh, wrangling with quarantine and different types of treatment, but you know we've managed to get them into the gardens properly propagate them. There's a number at Melbourne Gardens and I know there's one for you as a legacy tree, which will be climate suited. So it's the actions as well that um, really uh, talk talk louder it, sometimes. And words. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You can kind of have all the strategies you like, but it's, it's each individual tree. And, and, and things like, you know, I won't go on about the white oak because I often talk about this, but the the idea of keeping an old tree that's fallen down, keeping the stump, the wood, watching it rot as it's doing now, I've seen the fungi sort of take over, but at the same time planting three climate-resilient oaks around it. So this is in Melbourne Gardens in Oak Lawn, and it's been there a couple of years now. It's such a talking point, such a, a, point, a point of reflection. So you can you could think about the life of a 150-year-old tree, think about climate change, because that probably contributed to its death, and then start to plan for, you know, what's going to come next. And, you know, a tree from Mex uh, an oak from Mexico, one from Texas, one from California... It's a really interesting way of, I think, combining amenity and, and kind of conservation horticulture, if you like, together. And, Tim, as a guide, I find the fungi that's growing on that tree, it's the first time I've really had an opportunity to talk about fungi to people I'm taking around the gardens other than don't whatever you do, don't touch those things that look like mushrooms. They're yeah. not. <laughs> you know, it, it is fantastic to be able to talk about the role fungi plays in a garden because you do have people who see a mushroom or a fungus of some sort growing and they just want to take it out. No, no, important No, role. that's right. And it's, yeah, and do, and it's we, wonderful having that there to talk about. Yeah, we take, like, yeah, as you're saying, you know, things like death caps and ones we don't want there, we actually you know, do, do try to remove those because they're a little bit dangerous. But this is a great chance to sort of see fungi in action. And you can see the, the wood breaking down now too, which I think is also lovely in a botanic garden. Because mm. we, I think earlier on you are talking a bit about, you know, botanic gardens are quite manicured places often, but there are things we do where we let them sort of go a little bit wild, a little bit untamed. And of course, you know, Cranbourne, we have that huge area of bushland we look mm. after, but even in the manicured landscape, there's room, I think, for something a little bit unpredictable. And, and uh, you know, 
I'm not quite sure how that, that what's going to happen with that log. It's starting to rot now, and I was you know, talking to uh, Chris Cole, who manages the Melbourne Gardens. We're going to have to lower one of the logs a little bit just to make it safe because I don't want it to be dangerous for anyone. But but also, you know, just still let it rot away in a, in a kind of organic way. So who knows? It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think just a subtle redesign in there. Um, and the three trees that you mentioned are absolutely thriving. So, you know, we've got that opportunity to, as you, you know, we've talked about that white oak, to watch it, you know, and, and watch the fungi start to decay. But then also we, we, we can do a subtle redesign to, because those three trees are starting to be prominent in the landscape now. Yeah, that's right. You can adapt around that. And I, one of the things which I, I, I tell people, I, I, I think it's probably true, but I know um, uh, Peter and, and some of the people in the ARB team are, reckon this too, that because we've left that tree there, <laughs> that might explain why these three oaks are doing really, really well. Yeah. We have actually not taken the stump out, and maybe that's kind of encouraged the fungal fungi that were there already to then sort of take off, you know, sort of hang around for the new trees. Look, it's a, I think it's a lovely idea, and who knows? Yeah, it's mm. a subterranean connection as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the landscape underground. Mm. Tim, you mentioned um, yeah, culture in the broadest sense. Um, uh, I, I actually uh, was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's not interested in, in plants or botanic gardens or anything what? like that. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I, I, they You're exist, still friends. They, they exist. Um, and the term that he used to describe you, Tim, was that you've democratised um, um, the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria and the Melbourne Gardens. Um, uh, just in terms of your, your uh, environmental botanical... Um, advocacy and um, I, I would have said that that was a legacy of, of, of your 10 years looking from the outside in, Tim. That's, that's really nice, John. Actually, I like that, I like that term. It's, um, yeah, and I'm kind of honoured by that because I think that, in a way, some of the things I, I like to do is to reach out to people who, and I know it does sound like an odd thing, but people who might not be wedded to botanic gardens or not use them or might I sometimes think, sometimes, you know, we might not feel like we're exclusive, but it's a very special place, lovely plants, it's very tidy. I think some people almost find it daunting to, to come in the, in the gate. It might seem odd to us, but to provide ways where people feel comfortable um, and, and having Lightscape, which is you know, coming up again this year, having a big event where, you know, you see the gardens in a different way. We had, I think, 22% of people last time had never been to the Botanic Garden before and a, a similar percentage hadn't been for forever, <laughs> for years. Um, so it, I like that idea of democratising. I think it's that it's that uh, inclusive thing which we should try for in Botanic Gardens. And, you know, we, we all love plants and we love talking about plants and that's what draws me to Botanic Gardens. But I think if we start with um, bringing in all kinds of people who may not have that that love initially and they may not even like gardening I know again that's probably a hard concept for this show but <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you can still get them interested in, in life in plants in nature in conservation in or as a place of kind of solace or healing whatever it is there's so much we can give to people and you know if we can make that inclusive all the better mm. I think that's absolutely true and I and I I do think that the education aspect of the botanic gardens is actually very important we have so many school kids coming in and I think and they will bring their parents which is another thing which I think is a very good thing we do need to we, we, we need the people who live around it to value it yeah 
And and I and but, I think also the fact that you talk about it in various media all mm. the time. I think this has been very important. Just hearing you talk about, I, I was listening to you this morning talking about the um, those big canary oaks um, that were planted by around Melbourne's oh, independence. Yeah. I mean. Australia's independence, yeah. you know, and yeah. just hearing the trees in our gardens talked about on national radio, I think, is a really important thing. Yep. Yeah, it's something I love doing, so it's not a hard thing for me me to do. I I really enjoy that part of the job, and it's one that I've, you know, you've I've taken loved. to new heights. <laughs> no, well, thank you, Virginia. But it, and it it is, and it's great. I think that's another thing too, where you know, I did a a bit of a gardening show on Radio National quite a few summers ago called Talking Plants for a couple of seasons and I liked that and I really enjoyed it and it was hard work actually so I know how hard it is for you guys to, to put all this together but it, um, I did think afterwards I'm quite happy now going on shows that aren't always about gardening too so if I go on, you know, that's on you know, Talking on Blueprint for Living you've got people who are listening in because they want the cooking or they want the architecture and then exactly. suddenly there's someone talking about a a garden or walking through a garden and it takes them somewhere else and you, again, you know, let's hope that democratises um, botanic gardens as well. I think that's right, Tim, and I want to thank you for ringing in this morning. I think it's been absolutely excellent to have your perspective on this and can I say, I think having a blueprint for to 2090 for our gardens is enormously important. Claire and John, and you're doing a, a fantastic job, and I'm uh, pr proud of all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Good Tim. on you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. And then we're going straight to Kelly from the Geelong Botanic Gardens. Hello, Kelly. Hello. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. we can. Thank you very much. Hey, Kelly. John, John, Tex, and Claire, and Virginia. Hey, Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. Hello. Morning. Hey, Kelly. You've got a. You've you've got a. You've come to the Geelong Botanic Gardens through a, a, a circuitous route. Uh, you you were apprentice gardener at the Geelong Botanic Gardens in the early two hundred two thousands. Uh, and and twenty years on, you're you're back as as uh, sort of curator, team leader, leader, coordinator. Um, what did you do in between time? <laughs> uh, good question. I was, I'm pinching myself every day. It's um, an absolute dream to come back to. I love Geelong Botanic Gardens, and yeah, I was I was lucky, fortunate to uh, be an apprentice there in the late '90s. And oh, look, I, I think um, through schooling, found a real wonderlust for travel. Um, so I, I did a bit of a stint at Geelong and then took off travelling the world. Of course, looking at plants, like I could not stop myself. I think one of the things I really wanted to see was all the horrible, noxious weeds in Victoria. I wanted to see where they come from. In nature, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and really appreciate them more than anything. I, I really, I have a real fascination for plants growing out of place. Um, I want to know what goes on and why they're so successful. Um, coming back to Geelong, I just needed to change and headed off to Zoo Victoria for 20 years, which for me was about developing my love of horticulture, but also natural resource management. Yep. Werribee Zoo is an incredible place to be able to marry so much, so many hats in horticulture, animal connection, natural resource, 
guard and um, and have the ability to, to affect so many people, knowing full well that they've come there to look at animals. But I was always trying to get them into the plant side while they were there. So, yeah, it's been an amazing time there. I learnt so much about that animal plant connect, uh, connection, Sorry, um, look, especially looking at health, which I think has been a huge movement in the world, the gut health, um, human health, mm. uh, mental health, and mm. how plants can play an important role. Incredibly um, important role. Mm. And we were talking yeah. about ginkgos before. Now, there is one tree at the, at the Geelong Botanic Gardens that mm. is absolutely stunning. It is, and it's still one of the, the most popular spots in the garden for weddings. Um, I know our amazing volunteers always end up in that area to talk about it. The actual structure of the ginkgo at, at Geelong is weird and wonderful. It has this amazing trunk that was like melted candle wax, I suppose, aerial roots are starting to form, it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's there, it's, it's not behind glass, it's not um, It's not unattainable, people can touch it, yeah. people can pick up the leaves, and, and that's another thing that I'm really interested in, is really opening up the Geelong Botanic Garden to be more than a, like a stamp, a, a, a traditional stamp collecting where we're just collecting plants and no one can touch them, no one can really connect with them. I think there's a real need for people to have connections this day and age. Could you could you plants. could yeah. you talk to that role, Kel, of botanic gardens, regional botanic gardens, and what they uh, could should do mean to their communities? Oh, uh, I think coming back to Geelong and having this amazing memory of being there, and so much hasn't changed, but yet so much has. And I know that sounds really bizarre. It's so familiar to me, but it's the botanic world, I think in 20 years, I've, I've been saying this to everyone I've, I've spoken to, there's a real sense of connection with botanic gardens and whether whether you're royal um, or whether you're a regional, whether you're volunteer run, whether you're uh, like council run, I suppose. But relevancy with people, I think, is how how we fight that fight and and like choose your own adventure. Like, in invite people in, um, go out, outreach, find out what people feel, try and change that narrative around behaviours. And and I think what I've discovered is Botanic, Geelong Botanic Garden is, it sits up on this amazing hill in what we call Eastern Garden, a um, little bit unattainable to people at the moment, whether that's a public transport issue, um, you know, wayfinding issue. Mm. So really bringing it right back and, and yes, we can shout out at the, at the rooftops of where we are, what we do, we're fantastic. You know, we've got some amazing staff members, like they're, they're just right there. But if people don't know or people don't know how to get there or they don't understand, then we need to take it a step back. So outreach, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, I would also suggest that regional botanic gardens are their community. You know, they, mm. they're often yeah. uh, supported, um, managed, maintained by um, obviously, uh, uh, or not obviously, but often a small staff base um, who do amazing uh, with the resources that they have. But absolutely, um, it is that simpatico with the volunteers and, and the, um, the, the greater yeah. community as well. And I guess as botanic gardens, you know, we, we're talking about our gardens per se, but the outreach, you know, beyond the gate or whatever you want to call it, is a big part of what we do as well. We naturally do connect to, to anything outside the garden, whether it's trees, whether it's those private gardens, whether it's community gardens, um, and, and of, uh, the, that, that greater conservation focus as well. And you mentioned um, 
just the Werribee Zoo or, you know, that area there. And I was just visualising it as you, you talked about. And I thought, we've got, you know, the that Werribee Mansion precinct there. You've got the community orchards. You've also got mm. the Werribee River. So you've got all these multiple layers that you're oh. connecting with and, and working with. And I know there's a strong community element there. And it's really um, uh, great to, to hear, you know, what you're saying about how you want to kind of, um, uh, I guess, elevate that focus at Geelong. Yeah, definitely. Oh, the, the vegetable patches and the community groups that run out of Werribee Park Mansion uh, are yeah. oh, so incredible and uh, it's, it's positive. It's all positive and it works and, yeah, trying to trying to encapsulate that, I suppose, and bring it in. But then also um, I think someone I was listening earlier on, um, I'm not sure who mentioned it, but what I really want to install, especially with the staff, is that gardens are not meant to be neat and tidy like I, I like a little bit of mess I like a bit of rough edges um, people walking into Geelong may notice that there is weeds popping up and I know weeds were discussed earlier but that's all part of gardening like we're never going to stop to not have weeds and so I, I, getting staff especially out of that maintenance mode and start looking at the gardens as more of less of a trudge and it's not perfect into well we've created something um, look at look what's happening there so that's, that's a real emphasis for me at the moment is uh, trying to get that into staff, that it doesn't have to be perfect 100% of the time. Well, and gardens are always works in progress, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, and I often say to my team, it's like I, I reckon there's like about four days a year when you're like, oh, it's picture perfect. Absolutely, <laughs> like you look around and you think, job done. Next day, yeah. you could it, it could all just you know go up the creek again. <laughs> you could have a massive storm or whatever it might be. It, it's Correct. our work is constant, and yeah. and that's what a garden is. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, that that constant flow of, of processes and watching things grow, and and making those changes where you need to. And I think it's a that's a really interesting discussion at each local garden too with staff volunteers. Is that what are you? tolerable yeah. kind of levels of whether yeah. it, whether it is weeds whether it is the that sort of messy edges and things like that and how do you it's it's not a set and forget kind it's of not, tangible thing you actually cutter. have to have to have that discussion and, and, and it's dynamic as you say we're not we're not managing paintings we're managing uh, mm. dynamic gardens yeah. and so yeah. yeah we're curating them we're curating them yeah, that's for right. really and, specific purposes and to be relevant to the community like a standard that we set which is great um, please don't get me wrong, I don't think Geelong's messy at all. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But to be relevant to people walking in and having that sigh when they feel they can't achieve what's being achieved with such a curated collection of, of vegetation. So that, that connection with people, that it is hard for us as well. We we struggle as much as the home gardener does and we make mistakes. Um, so being real, really real. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It comes, it comes, keeping it real. Keeping it real. <laughs> it comes back to what Tim was saying about democratising gardens and yeah. you know, being gardens that are not just for um, a, a, a certain group of people, but you know, our, our regional gardens in particular are of the community. They're funded by the community. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for, for talking to us today, Kelly. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And we call on people who live around Geelong to go to the, your botanic gardens today for... Botanic Gardens Day. Absolutely. Yeah, get amongst it, folks. Good on you, Kel. Thanks, Thanks Kel. Thank, Thank you. Well, that is some very, very good Botanic Gardens that we have been looking at today, and, I and, have to say. And we've talked to, based on the 42, less than 
We've, no, we've, we've, we've talked to you. Less than 10% mm. yeah. of, of, uh, of, of the gardens in Victoria, of what's available in Victoria. It's a bounty. And we've had, we've had some texts. We've had a text from Vicky and Peter in Notting Hill who are regular listeners. We just spent an hour walking around Maranoa Gardens this week and we loved it. We're about to head off to Melton Botanic Gardens for the first time in seven years. Can't wait to see how they've developed ah, since then. Good stuff. Sweet. So well done. And we've also had um, a text in from Ellen or a phone call in from Ellen in the UK to say that she's loving the show. And I've had a text in from John in Minnesota, who's also listening. Oh, wow. <laughs> Broad reach. Well, Botanic Gardens are global. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because um, Southern Hemisphere, uh, I think Botanic Gardens make up there's some, there's some large percentage in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm going to say 85%. Oh, it's a huge amount. So, in the Northern you know, we've got yeah. a lot of, uh, we have a lot of um, younger gardens here. So a lot of growing and, and more Botanic Gardens to come is the way kind of, I, I see it as well. Yeah, can, I, can I just say one thing I've learned today, um, which was probably from the conversation with Tim? Um, we have, and I'm going to say, we've got the democracy sausage. Now we've got the democracy <laughs> gardens. So <laughs> let's see if we can roll on from there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's really very, very important. And really, we want our listeners to go and visit their botanic gardens. Because they're yours. That's and, right. And, and gain inspiration. I think for gardeners, that, that, that's you know, one of the really critical things, and I think Kelly was touching on that. It's you, you can go to a botanic garden and gain inspiration for you know, thoughts, plants, techniques, ideas um, for, uh, for your garden. So, you know, and, and in some cases that's, that's incidental, but in some cases that's you know, absolutely literal. Yeah. The, the produce garden, the kitchen garden mm. at, uh, at the Melbourne Gardens is... I could do that at home. Yes. Um, some of the display gardens at Cranbourne are overtly about what you can do. What at you home. can do at home. Mm. Yeah. And and also, all of our botanic gardens actually have plant sales. Yes. Yeah. 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 Shepparton's having one today. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yep. and that's something else that is. Oh, I mean, you can buy plants from those plant sales. That you, it's so hard to find anywhere else. And I've got to say, those the plant sales are a different. Um, shopping experience so it's it's just that different outdoor vibe dare i say it's a little oldie worldy where you're literally getting in there there's stuff in in boxes or on tables and it's uh it's not the um i don't know that the large um hardware store experience that no, we put yeah, it that yeah, way no. you've got stuff right in front of you you've also got numerous experts right there to be able to tell, tell you, you exactly how to grow that mm. yeah what it is where it came from um uh, a huge amount of knowledge that you get with buying that little and, i know six dollar plant that's going to give you you know another 60 years of joy and and quite often run by the volunteers yeah and, and anything anything you spend is going back into into them helping maintain the garden so it's a it's a it's a really nice exchange yeah it's, it's literally the opposite isn't it to the, yeah to, to, to the, the the big shed hardware store where plants are annexed and they're just a component of what they do mm. they're, they're social enterprises mm. uh, the access to plants with really interesting stories and provenance and access to plants that are really hard to find Yeah, just in terms of um, you know there's a whole botanic garden got yeah. specialist collections and they're often reflected in the plant sales and they're you know they, they're um, that access you know is um, also relevant to staff on ground so the horticulturists you know the nursery the propagators they yeah. go out and collect those plants to talk about it with the friends to their and, you know, pass that on to, to the general public yeah. in, in the way that they can. So maybe just, I don't know, in closing, or the, the, the last thought is a, a shout out to the friends of the various friends groups of, uh, of Botanic Gardens because if it were not for our 
network of friends groups, we would really struggle to do what we do. So shout out to the friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I say thank you to all of you for coming in today? I think we've had um, a lovely show and I think, I hope our listeners have really, really enjoyed it. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.